It's a bird. It's a plane. Wait, no. It's Alex and Joe. It's 518 Filmhouse. Welcome Ooh. back, everybody. Um, week two. Uh, really excited to be back in here recording for you guys. Um, I honestly was a little worried that there wouldn't be a lot of news or things to talk about within a week's time. But, man, we've got a stacked show for you guys today. A um, couple of things we're going to be talking about. Got a, got a list here. Um, DC Fandom happens. There's a lot of cool stuff with that. Um, one of the main features we wanted to kind of cover early on is 10 films that kind of flesh out what our tastes are. I was talking to Joe about making the list and referred to them as get to know me movies. So not necessarily our favorites are the ones that we think are the most well-made, but 10 that really give, will give you an idea of uh, the breadth of our different tastes in film. Um, Tenet, there's some stuff going on with the Chris Nolan movie we wanted to touch base on. And then an awesome segment we came up with last time, um, sadly, after we had finished recording. Um, Joe, do you want to kind of walk them through what that's going to look like? And then we'll kind of t- walk through our list. All right. So we've got uh, later today, we've got a great segment. Um, it's going to be called a Between a Rock and a Well Place. Uh, this is going to be when we're going to give you a few movie pitches slash perhaps TV pitches uh that star sam rockwell and we're really looking forward to that we were uh just coming up with the lots and lots of them when we're talking in our spare time um if we have time we'll probably predict some more um uh, rotten tomato scores with Mm -hmm. guess that tomato and uh we'll see we're gonna we're gonna start talking and i I have no idea where we're gonna go yeah it could go anywhere yeah uh, Joe, do you want to start with the Get to Know Me movies and kind of work our way through that? I feel like it's going to be the, the lengthiest part of our segment today. Um, Sounds great. Yeah, so I guess we can just kind of bounce back and forth between the 10. Um, mm-hmm. So do you want to go first? Sure. Cool. All right. So my first one is Crazy Stupid Love. Um, nice. I love a good romantic comedy, um, especially like a quality one like when i say good i mean like it's a quality movie you know it's not too trashy it's it's you know it's got to have a pretty good rotten tomato score but it's a rom-com it's about romance it's about love uh because i think love is a really good motivator for movies and uh it's a great cast um it's pretty funny i really like that you're gonna see a few comedies on my list here uh but just a good romantic comedy uh that has some depth to it um that's what i like i really liked the just i think that the plot was really fresh with that when mm-hmm. it came out um, oh yeah i mean just the the very much front, uh, the twist that happens in it you know i mean for people yes, that, m night Shyamalan right there, yeah yeah <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well i think it really also informed um my decision to start watching this is us because it's the same the showrunner is the guy that wrote and directed that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of those twists in This Is Us <laughs> from time to time. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Crazy Stupid Love. That's a good one to have on your list. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good movie. Great movie. Yeah. Um, I guess, oh, yeah. Number 10 for me. I mean, it's not particular order, but I think it's just the way I wrote it down. Um, Adventureland, 2009. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, great soundtrack. Um, I'm, I'm really big into mu- music as well as movies. And I think that films really informed like my tastes in that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 
it was made in 2009, but it's a classic, like, 1980s coming-of-age film. Um, and those were the movies that, like, my dad had me watch a lot of. Um, and this was one I just stumbled on my own. Um, 2009, you know, I was very, I feel like, an- anti-Kirsten Stewart because of Twilight and everything. But mm-hmm. she really shines in it. Um, Jesse yeah. Eisenberg is great. Yeah, Jesse Eisenberg was at his peak at that time, I believe. He was really killing it in his career. So mm-hmm. was Kristen Stewart. Yeah, Ryan Bill Reynolds Hader, is in it. Bill Hader. Ryan, yeah. Ryan, yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Martin Starr, I believe, is in it. Yep. Uh, it's a stacked cast. Really nice cast. And that's a, that's a big key. You, be, you know, if you got a stacked cast, it's 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 tough for your movie to stink sometimes. You know what I mean? You can make a cruddy movie with a good cast, but it's hard. You mm-hmm. know? It really is. Yeah, and it's got one of the best licensed soundtracks there is. I mean, it's just... Yeah, I love like, that soundtrack. I, I, I have it on iTunes. Like, it's just... Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So, yeah, I guess we're back to you. Uh, I got Step Brothers. Um, <laughs> nice. Step Brothers because, you know, I just said that I like a, a, a romantic comedy with depth. Sometimes you just want a comedy with no depth. This mm-hmm. is a silly, you know, fun uh, comedy uh that gets you gut laughing and i could watch that movie so many times i remember i watched it in theaters and i didn't think much of it and then my dad got it for me on uh for christmas and man that that movie you could just watch over and over and over again and it was it was just fantastic um of course not a lot of depth it's not going to teach you gigantic life lessons in fact Mm -hmm. it might teach you some bad lessons (laughs) uh but it's a lot of fun so Uh, i love a fun movie that fun fact, I uh, that was the first, and I no, not the only, but it was the first film I ever snuck into. Really? Yeah, I was wow. fourteen when it came out, so I was that was a long way away from a little fourteen-year-old rebel. Yeah, it was That's weird. Crazy. It was like the, the Tuesday that it came out, but like it was me and three other people in the theater. But oh I just remember like, having the time of my life in there, and oh, um, dude, yeah, me and Brittany watched boats and hoes. <laughs> Boats and hoes. It's, it's, it's the fucking Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Dude, the freaking whole cans, the bunk beds, so much room for activities. I mean, it, it, was, it was around that time where Will Ferrell was really killing it. And him and John C. Riley together were just the wombo combo. Of course, recently that combo has kind of gotten worse with uh, Sherlock uh, Holmes and Watson. Uh, or Sherlock and Watson? It's Holmes and Watson. Holmes right? and Watson, yeah. And Holmes and Watson. That wasn't so good, but overall, that pairing just killed it. What's funny to me is it's. I think it sits at like fifty percent on What's Rotten that? Tomatoes. That Brothers? Yeah, it's, it's, it's understandable. It's understandable. I think I, I really also so good, think though. it's aged so well. It's aged um, very well. It's like Anchorman. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. it's consistently funny the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I love <laughs> I love it when a when they're in the um, the treehouse and Derek comes up and he's like, I haven't had a carb since 2006. And he just lifts his shirt and he's like, you want to touch this? This is the shit I live with every day. <laughs> or uh, when you're burying him alive. Oh my God. <laughs> it's the whole like, montage with the neighbors. It's, it's so many great moments. Uh, yeah. When they're fighting on the lawn and the freaking uh, seeing eye dogs. Oh my God. Well, it's I mean, so good. Adam McKay, too, has really grown, you know, as a director mm-hmm. from that, too. It's crazy yeah. to think, you know, the guy behind the big short or um, or Vice, even, is the guy that made Step Brothers. Um, yeah, I mean, you can make a good comedy. You can really work with what you got, I think. You know, comedy is really hard. Mm-hmm. And I think it's 
it's probably easier to go from a drama to, or sorry, from a comedy to a drama and have some comedic elements uh, than to go from a drama to a comedy if you don't have experience writing comedy. Um, so yeah, Adam McKay has been killing it lately. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your next movie? So mine is a comedy. Um, it's The Big Lebowski, 1998, uh, Coen mm-hmm. Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, that one was a tough one for me because what's funny is that really, because I, I, when I made this list, I had made this list a while ago when someone asked me that question of like, what are 10 movies that really, that I could get to know you by. And then I was making my favorite list and it came down to really like all the directors I loved. There was kind of a movie mm-hmm. from them that was on the list. And on the other list I made, it was No Country for Old Men from mm. them. And I just, yeah. I, I, I think that movie is one of the few movies on any of my lists that I think there is no misstep. Like there's, it's just, everything's great in it. But The Big Lebowski is something that kind of also infl- was like one of my early Coen Brother movies. Um, it's a cult classic. Mm. I feel like I reference it at least once a week in some capacity. I mean, even I, uh, I have one of the special edition um dvds and it came with uh the uh, mouse pad that is the dude's rug which is like the centerpiece to the narrative I, have you seen the big lebowski uh yes my okay, friend tommy God. growing up was yeah. a huge fan of it and mm-hmm. we watched it i believe we watched it on the way to new jersey i went on vacation with him right before i went to college mm-hmm. um and yeah we watched the big lebowski and we watched uh what's the christopher nolan film with robin williams insomnia, insomnia. there yeah. you go insomnia uh, we watched those two movies, and they were great. They were really good. Um, I think Lebowski is what's crazy about it, and I think what it, it kind of taught me about movies is that, like, because it is a visual, like, art form, is that mm-hmm. it's, it's not not necessarily a narrative that, you know, drives a lot of things. I mean, a Big Lebowski, I mean, it's a really simple plot. I mean, yeah. just, like... <laughs> Somebody comes in, the, they, he gets mistaken for this other guy. They come in and they, they pee on his rug. And he's just like, man, like really pulled the room together. <laughs> he goes bowling. And it's just like this weird world that the Coens build. And it's just, it's so many lively characters. I mean, what we watched Raising Arizona a couple weeks ago, right? That yes. was one of your picks. I mean, like. Yep. Burn they, after reading. They I just, mean, yeah, Burn After Reading, too, because, I mean, really, literally at the end of Burn After Reading, the, the guy's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't really matter, you know, like, <laughs> um, and they just take you on these, like, crazy comical journeys that I feel like it's just, like, it's almost real life-ish, even though it's, like, mm. so, um, so some of the plot points are just, like, crazy things. Yeah, he can really go out there with you. Like, No Country for Old Men. It also ends with uh, Tommy Lee Jones kind of having that little monologue. With, with the like, dream that he has, yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, they have very interesting ways to kind of... I almost feel like it's... they they It's a very grand kind of adventure that they put you on. And in the end, it's just this tiny event in a larger world yep. in some ways. And that's, that's an interesting thing about the Coen Brothers. Coen Brothers... They kill it. I, you know, I've been really tempted to watch a serious man. Um, I believe it's on Netflix. Hey, have you never I've seen that? Been, I've never seen it. How oh my it? god, Joe! It is fantastic. It's fantastic. It, it, yeah, it was one of the best movies in two thousand nine. Yeah, I've always wanted to see it. Even when it, when it came out, I really wanted to see. It. I never got around to it. And you know, I watched the trailer on Netflix. And I'm like, I don't know, but I, I feel like it is a movie I'd want to see, especially considering it's the Coen Brothers. It's definitely top tier Coen Brothers, honestly. Um, it was really hard to find though in theaters, so like that's why I think it's probably like that's probably forever to see it. Yeah, um, 
So yeah, I'm probably gonna check that out on Netflix. Maybe this week. Maybe I'll give it a little review next episode. Yeah. Uh, should I move on to my next one? Yeah. All right. So my next one is Hereditary. Ooh. You know, we've been on a bit of a kick with um, their movies. Uh, what's it? What's the director's name? Off the top of my head. It's like Ari Aster, I believe. Yeah, Ari Aster. There you go. Hereditary, Midsummer. Um, but Hereditary, you know, it. Me and my dad watched it in theaters, and I. Came out of that. I came out of it. Sorry, my cat was climbing a chair and I was going to fall over. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I was watching it with my dad and I came out of the theater and I was literally like shaking. Like I was shaking and I had goosebumps because it was such a creepy feeling. It was a feeling of this like demonic presence. And it reminded of my dad grew, uh, kind of raised me on um, Rosemary's Baby. Mm, yeah when i was a child and you know i never actually saw it but i saw the ending and i seen pieces and my dad told me about it and i think i got a similar feeling to what people probably felt after rosemary's baby it's that creepy feeling it's that demon it's that that evil pure evil demonic feeling where it's not exactly that far off from what could happen in real life you know other than the supernatural element you know Mm -hmm. there are people that worship the devil there are there are people that like go to that level so that movie just gave me such goosebumps and uh, reminds me of The Exorcism, reminds me of um, the um, recent films, the uh, what, what's the what's the uh, exorcism movies that have been coming out recently? Great movies. Oh, The Conjuring? The Conjuring. Yeah, it reminds me of The Conjuring. You know, I like a, a creepy, you know, supernatural film with some realism to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like The Conjuring usually gives you realism for maybe three fourths of the movie. And then the ending usually goes a little bit off the rails, goes a little bit supernatural, goes a little bit to like the, you know, do you believe in ghosts? If you do, then it goes there. So um, I like those kind of films. That's another one um, that I enjoy. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you, you were like, you texted me right after you saw it and was like, this is something you got to see. Yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I didn't get to see it in theaters, but then we watched yeah. it. <laughs> you made I think it's completely different. PlayStation. <laughs> like, I think you- Two we weeks before it. it was free on Prime. Yeah. And then <laughs> I, we watched it. It. I, I think I own it because it's just <laughs> yeah. uh, in my library. But um, well, our uh, significant others played board games in front of us. We watched it together. And yeah. I don't think it had the same feel as a theater, uh, which I think we then got a similar feeling with Midsommar. Yeah. Uh, Midsommar will get that creepy feeling, that creepy cultish feeling. It's atmospheric. Know? I mean, this guy yeah. is, he's only had these two movies but mm-hmm. i think he is definitely like fits the auteur narrative um mm-hmm. like just those two films connecting and just like he had he has a way with tapping yeah. into those things and to to talk about just rosemary's baby f- for a second i mean um i saw that at the madison oh god six years ago when they were still doing classic movies mm-hmm. um and i mean i saw it in my my film class in high school but that movie has stuck with me ever since. Like you're saying, like yeah. I was weary of people giving me food to feed to my baby, my, my wife while she was pregnant. Yeah. Just because yeah. of like, <laughs> them feeding her, like whatever recipe it was. And that like chocolate pudding in the movie. And yeah. it, <sighs> say what you want about, you know, Roman Polanski as a person, but his fil- his craft is just Rosemary's baby is just so well structured. And it's almost yeah. like, Without that film, I feel like you wouldn't have something like Hereditary. 
No, I, I would imagine that uh, Ari Aster was probably inspired by that to some mm-hmm. extent. Uh, it did, ha- you know, it did have very much of that kind of feeling. You uh, got to give props to Tony Collette in that too. I mean, yeah. she was she. Uh, it is a it is a shame that she was nominated for much for that because it. And I think horror a lot of the times gets left behind. She was so freaking good in that. Like she really was. I mean, mm-hmm. Tony Collette in general is just really great. Mm-hmm. Um. Another, like, even growing up as a child, I think, like, Children of the Corn, uh, Omen, you know, creepy children are, there's something about creepy children, because I tell you, children are not fully developmentally um, and emotionally, and if they, if you've got an evil child, man, they'll do <laughs> stuff. You, you can't control them. No. You know how, you, you're going, you know, you're learning this as you go. Like, like it's hard to control a child and tell them what to do, like, or like keep them in like. So, if say if a child wants to cut you, they might do it. You mm-hmm. don't know. Like, if, if <laughs> it's silly, but you know, you got an evil child, you got an exorcist child. Like, you, you don't want to hurt a child, and mm-hmm. they want to hurt you. Yeah, they're they're more motivated to hurt you than you are to hurt them. So it's like, man, creepy children are are creepy. That's just it. Um, so anyways, before I go on a tangent about children stabbing me, uh, what is your next film? Huge, huge, uh, genre shift from hereditary, but mine is, uh, Moulin Rouge, 2001, Baz Luhrmann. Um, Yes, you had me watch this, uh, during our movie night, uh, earlier this year, right? Yeah, I think so. I know. It was, uh, last year? Yeah, because it was when, uh, we were still in our apartment. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I remember being really excited because I was like, I actually feel like Joe's going to love this. And it was a lot of fun. The funniest part about it is I absolutely hated it the first time I watched it. Yeah. I, yep, I I hated it. I was a girl I was dating at the time, like, introduced me to a bunch of movies I, like, never wanted to watch. And this was one of them. And it was too high energy for me, I think, at the time. Mm. Um, but then I, for some reason, just popped it in again one time and just like, I don't know, just got whisked away into this like insane musical that Baz Luhrmann put on. Um, it, Ewan McGregor is just, he's so good in it. Yeah. Um, the musical pieces are great. I think that the fact that it's like a jukebox musical is great. Um, right. Meaning I, that it's utilizing uh, already created music. It's not creating yeah. as much original music as a typical musical would. Yeah, um, so you get a lot of really mm-hmm. interesting takes or um, shifts in what those contemporary songs were. And um, it's great like, for an audience because you go in knowing the music. Or you might yeah. know the music because it's very much pop music um, from that time period, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Ewan McGregor just starts belting Elton John's Your Song. I'm just, like, oh totally gosh. taken in. Like, I mean, that's the that's the song that, like, I danced um, with my mom on my wedding to. Um, it just, like, and it wasn't even Elton John's song. It was it was Ewan McGregor's cover of it. It's a great uh, version of it. Yeah, so, I, I don't know. It's just, I think that that movie, out of all the musicals that I, I enjoy, I think that's the one that really it's captured my attention the most. Mm-hmm. And honestly, whenever I see something that is a musical, I kind of always think, okay, what would Baz Luhrmann do with this? Like yeah. when I saw, um, greatest showman. the great showman, I think definitely is similar, but I mean, like out, like, cause even outside of the musical pieces in, in Moulin Rouge, it's just like, 
it's almost like you know you're you're drinking the absinthe with them, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> everything yeah. is just like moving a mile a minute. It if really you, is. I Shout really, out to Miles. You know, you really need to see a great movie cats. called Cats. Yes, I cats. know, I know. Yeah. God, <laughs> I don't know how you can have this podcast without you seeing that fantastic Oscar-worthy yeah. movie. You know? Any cinephile needs to see it. <laughs> needs um, to see Cats. <laughs> I really wish I liked it, but I wish that Guy Ritchie's Aladdin that came out last year with Will Smith was done by Baz Luhrmann. Oh. Um, I think cool. I think that there's definitely a lot of enough energy in the music um, that he could have just like translated that energy throughout that whole movie. Not that I, I mean, like I said, I liked it, but like mm. I feel like I'm constantly thinking of how Mulan Rouge is just it just it's just so good as a musical could be co- compared to everything else that I see. But um, yeah, so I guess. That's that's really all I got on Moulin Rouge there. You're nice. nice. Uh, yeah. My next one is The Dark Knight. And this encompasses mm. a couple things. You know, when I was a child, my, my dad was really into the original Batman film with Michael Keaton. He would watch it a lot. Uh, you want some peanuts? <laughs> he loved it. I did not watch as much of it, but I got into the other ones. You know, I got into the George Clooney ones, Val Kilmer. Um, and then with... Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale, man, uh, I, you know, Batman Begins, I was like, you know, it's, it's pretty good. It's a serviceable, you know, Batman movie. Uh, at the time, I guess I just didn't appreciate it as much as people appreciate it nowadays. Uh, but The Dark Knight was on a whole other level. And it, it, it shows a certain uh, genre movies and kind of like part of movies that I really enjoy. I love a good villain. I love a good villain. And The, the Dark Knight had a great villain in the Joker um, uh, played by Heath Ledger. And a good villain can make a movie really intriguing because when you're almost rooting for the villain, but you still care about the hero, it it makes you care about the movie and it makes you care where the movie is going because most movies, if you don't care about the villain, you're just like, okay, protagonist beat the villain, whatever, I don't care. But if you really enjoy the villain, you're looking forward to every confrontation they have and every interaction they have, and every scene. And I think it engages the person then more. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about, like, Black Panther with uh, Killmonger. You know, I'm thinking about Avengers with um, with Thanos, you know. Um, and plenty of films, like gangster movies and stuff like that, where you care about these people that are not, you know, great people. You know, you think of um, Gangs of New York. Mm-hmm. The villain is very engaging, you know. But anyways, and then Christopher Nolan, you know, that this really uh, allowed me to get more into Christopher Nolan films uh, around the same time. I think I watched Memento and Insomnia yeah. and all of his uh, his classics. And I've been, been engaged by him ever since. You know, I even loved I really loved Dunkirk. I think Dunkirk was surprisingly good. I don't think it's appreciated as much as it should be, uh, primarily because of his sound and the score and like, you know, just the movie as a whole, even if it wasn't as like, maybe the acting like didn't, the acting was great, but it, it wasn't like these engaging characters were like, oh man, I really love this character. Um, but like the he, movie as a whole was so great. And it's it's his direction that he pulled it all together. So yeah, Christopher Nolan with The Dark Knight. I love that film. I used to watch it so many times and uh, it, I love it for a, a numerous reasons, but 
it's really important. I, I think the biggest thing, and it, I mean, it's it's so important culturally for movies and also just for the superhero genre. And, but the funniest part about about that is that it's it's more or less a, just a crime epic instead of a yeah. superhero movie. It just happens to have Batman and Joker in it. And it's it's this huge ensemble piece, too, which I think before it really, you know, a lot of superhero movies kind of really relied on focusing on the, you know, whoever the movie was named after. And I think that, I mean, I haven't seen it in a while, but I've watched it a lot of times, too, is that Batman kind of takes uh, a backseat to a lot of everything else going on. He really does. Um, and that's not a bad thing. No. Um but like I mean, you had so much going on in here too. I mean, you had Harvey Dent in this one. Um, yeah, uh, God, like just a, a lot of moving parts. All the different um, gangsters, you know. Um, yeah. Officer Gordon, uh, Commissioner Gordon was fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. it's a great film. Um, no, I really loved it. The only thing that would have made it better, you know, is if Commissioner Gordon was played by Al Pacino. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I get a very I would, much a heat vibe. Uh, I would I would counter with Sam Rockwell. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. But you know, I think you know if he's like, oh, all right, when I catch the Joker, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think Al Pacino would have made a great Commissioner Gordon, and he still can. You know, he still can. There could be some rewrites. You know, I love Jeffrey Wright, but you know. Al Pacino and I, they can like they a can really young old up. Al Pacino. Young I want him really Robert old, Pattinson. but then they young him up. Okay. They young him up like it's the Irishman. I want like Jimmy Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa. He wasn't even that it's... young in the Irishman. <laughs> I think they made Al Pacino I want a, older. I want to young him up all the way to fifteen. <laughs> I want a no, young. Man. I want a young commissioner. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. No. But anyways, uh, <laughs> before I go off. Yeah, uh, Al Pacino being 15 years old. Uh, what is your next film? All right, uh, it's 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 my Tarantino pick. Oh yeah, I, I love Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Which I think it's a classic Ooh. Tarantino pick, but I mean, it's just I'm always drawn back to it. At, mm-hmm. If someone hasn't seen it, I make it my job to have them watch it. Yeah, um, you did that to me. Yes, <laughs> it's it's I think twice. I think so. I mean, it's just <laughs> the dialogue is so rich and it's, mm-hmm. it's basically, I always, I say it every time I think it when I watch it, it's basically a play. You could mm. easily put it on Broadway or, or on a stage because it's, uh, you know, you're cutting back and forth between just a few key scenes and it's just narrative through dialogue up until you get to, you know, spoiler alert for people that haven't seen it, it came out in 92. It's a classic. Um, when you find out that Mr. Orange is actually an undercover cop. Um, and that's when you kind of see the process of him learning, like walking through his story to get into this group for mm. the heist. And you kind of see visually things he's doing. But even then, there's the whole scene where he is re- re- um, telling his story about um, the uh, the bathroom scene where he is just like describing details of things. And you mm. kind of visually see it as he's telling it. But other than that, you're relying on the dialogue between Mr. Pink, Mr. White, Mr. Orange, and then Mr. Blonde. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, in, in order, I feel like it takes a, it takes a really rich dialogue to engage your audience that much to have you listen for an hour and a half to know what's happening instead of 
scene, right? Where I was kind of yeah. talked about Big Lebowski is like kind of like the narrative is really laid, laid back and you're still being brought on this journey and it's fantastic here. It's like you're in this like warehouse <laughs> for an hour and a half. Yeah, and um, you can kind of see uh, Quentin uh, kind of come back to that with Hateful Eight. Yes, and that's Hateful why Hateful Eight is very similar in that I one. I love love Hateful Eight too. It's 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 pretty much just like a bottle episode the whole time, and mm-hmm. you're just like waiting for because. And I mean, he done kind of in smaller scales too. In the acts of Inglorious Bastards, does that? Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking of the basement scene where it, they're playing um, the the heads up game with the cards. Yeah, and it's just like. Is it? I've never timed it, but I feel like it, it feels like a half hour until Michael Fassbender does the wrong three, which outs him as a, you know, an American mm-hmm. soldier and not a German one. And then it's like thirty seconds of violence, and it's gruesome. But it's it's just like that long dialogue to get to that point. Yeah. Um, and really, I mean, Reservoir Dogs is a is ninety minutes of that. Mm-hmm. Because it is until like the very end that you get into what actually happened with the heist and then all the violence that happens in the warehouse. Um, yeah, I mean, you think of Quentin and he uses a lot of dialogue back and forth between characters in like these kind of like prolonged scenes, but like they're, I mean, they're great scenes. Like you think of um, Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Justified, what's his freaking name? Wong Goggins. Wong, uh, no. No, 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 the no, no. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm thinking about the scene where he forgets his scene, uh, he forgets his lines, and uh, <laughs> think about that. You know, I think like they're so good. He's so good at simple, not simple, but like casual dialogue slash like just realistic conversation. Yeah, and, he has an ear uh, for how people talk. Yeah, you know, like yeah, mm-hmm. and feet. Yeah, the ear for and feet. he. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. Um, Scott Mendelson from Forbes, one of my favorite uh, film writers, uh, will cover. He covers films for Forbes. Uh, pointed out that there were so many shots of feet once oh upon a time in Hollywood because that's oh all I God. saw. It's always seen now the theater, and that's all yeah. I see anymore in yeah. Tarantino movies. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> it's like wow. Pulp Fiction, oh my god! Yeah, I mean Uma Thurman. I Uma feel like Thurman. she's introduced with the the feature. With her feet, like, right? and I mean, it, it opens with with John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson talking about <laughs> what's what's worse, you know, um, what was it having, you know, like having sex with the other guy's man, uh, woman, or you know, rubbing foot feet. rub. Yeah, and the foot rub was worse. Because you know, more Quentin. In, it's more intimate. <laughs> Quentin wrote that. Like, yeah, Quentin's like if someone rubbed out, like, my wife's sure? feet. I would be all over that. <laughs> His editor was like, "Are you sure about this?" No, we keep that line in. Yeah, we. <laughs> There were there were actually more lines about feet. Yeah, no, I mean it's crazy. It's crazy. Pulp, but pulp man. fiction, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think you're up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm up, and I'm sticking with Quinn. Uh, oh, I got Kill yeah. Bill. Kill oh, Bill. okay. Nice. Uh, volume one in particular. Uh, I, you know, I was raised on martial arts films. I was raised mm. on, you know, Bruce Lee, and I was. Raised on Jackie Chan, uh, raised on Jet, um, did I say Jet Li or I said Bruce Lee? I said, uh, so Jet Li, mm-hmm. you know, watching, uh, I watched a lot of martial arts movies with my dad, you know, because we, we uh, did Taekwondo when I was young. And it was just like, you know, we loved the action. And, you know, we'd watch Tex- uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, uh, which was a lot of, uh, a lot of roundhouse kicks from uh, Chuck Norris. Uh, but, we love the martial arts films and Quentin Tarantino directing 
very much a kind of a classic martial arts slash perhaps like a revenge western uh slash revenge samurai film in a way because samurai uh westerns are often kind of inspired by the samurai films mm-hmm. um but kill bill was really great and it, i was very young when i first saw it so the violence was very engaging and it was very uh exciting and it was very uh you know different than what i'm used to um it wasn't the first r-rated film i, I saw I, the first r-rated film i saw was originally on this list but then i kind of kept ki- kicked it off uh, was gladiator but mm. Kill Bill was very early on as far as R-rated films in my life. And uh, it was great. It was fantastic. You know, it's, uh, once again, a great cast. Uh, once again, great dialogue from uh, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, but the biggest thing about Kill Bill is the action. You know, you think of, um, let's see. You think of basically the final scene where he's, 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 she's fighting all the, different people with samurai swords and the, the giant mace and um, uh, it's just fighting Lucy Liu. Um, and there's just so much great action along with a well-directed Quentin Tarantino film. And I really enjoyed that. And it's really what got me into Quentin Tarantino was uh, Kill Bill. So that movie is always going to stick out to me. Um, did you, you've seen Kill Bill, obviously, right? I have, yes. Uh, not, not in a long time. I think that yep. was um, back when, because I was introduced to Reservoir Dogs in mm-hmm. my, my high school film class. And then after that, it was like, okay, I got to watch all of them. Yeah. Um, but it's not one that I've come back to mm. as often as I do like Pulp Fiction or yeah. um, like, I, I also haven't seen Death Proof or. Um, yeah. You haven't seen The Grindhouse. Yeah. Me and my dad saw that in theaters. Mm-hmm. We saw the double feature, which was fantastic. And um, I still was... haven't seen um, Jackie Brown either. Yeah, we have to watch that. I think that's, I want to say that's that. That's on Netflix too, right? On Netflix? Yeah, we got to take mm-hmm. some time to watch that at some point. Have you seen True Romance, though? No. Is so that on he, Netflix? He wrote, he didn't direct it, but he wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, that And it came out right after Reservoir Dogs. And it's uh, it's so interesting to to have um, a, a, a Tarantino plot not directed by him. It's so, the, the, right. the, the vibe, it's, it's a good vibe but it's, it's, it's so different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you can definitely be uh, shifted because of who directs it. Now, have you seen uh, uh, from dusk till dawn? I have not. No. That's, That's another one. What, George Clooney, right? Uh, yes. It's George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino in a starring role. Oh snap. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the brother. Robert Rodriguez. Two brothers. Yeah. It's right, directed yeah. by Rob, Robert Rodriguez, but the screenplay is by Quentin Tarantino. Yep. Uh, and then it's also stars him, uh, which creates that relationship most likely between Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, which led to uh, Death Proof. Death, and, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, the, yeah, Grindhouse, Grindhouse uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, alrighty, what is your next film? My next film, <laughs> I think it's another one I introduced you to, and it's uh, my Scorsese pick. Um, it's 1990s Goodfellas. Mm. okay that's next on my list uh but it's slash wolf of wall street because i i you know i haven't seen goodfellas that many times um but you know just a scorsese film in general is so great but go on yeah i mean um goodfellas i mean it's just like i feel like i've been a proponent of it in the classic gangster movie question which is godfather goodfellas and i mean godfather's great Mm -hmm. but goodfellas is just it's fun um 
<laughs> Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Ray Liotta. It's just, it's, it's crazy. Um, I think it just does a really good job of. I feel, I feel like it's a really good first gangster picture for anybody. Yeah, it's way more fun to watch. Yeah, it's really accessible. Um, it's it moves at a fast clip, even though it's a it's a fairly long movie too. I'm trying to see what, exactly how long the runtime is. It's 145 minutes, but you know it's, mm-hmm. it's almost two and a half hours. Um, and it, it, I think it's just Scorsese at his, at his best, and it's the. Um, I think that Goodfellas definitely really informs Wolf of Wall Street for him, yeah. um, which I think it's going to be great to kind of jump from that to Wolf of Wall Street. Um, I just, I don't even want to, I think just like if I had to pick a scene in it, it's like the prison scene where Ray Liotta is just describing like, what they're doing in there, you know, got Polly cutting the garlic and this and that. And it's just like how life was so different for these guys. Right. And I think it also really works as a, a um, companion piece to the Irishman, which it's that movie, right. It's huge. And we watched it in a couple of different chunks over the course of a day. Um, that was back a, in November. A battle. <sighs> Cause it's just, it's just a big movie. It's but a I think long it's, movie. Goodfellas, in a way, right. kind of um, fetishizes the, the gangster life, mm-hmm. even though um, it still doesn't end well for them. But then you yep. find these key um, actors from that in Irishman that, I mean, Robert De Niro, spoiler alert, um, he ends up basically dying alone in a retirement home. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it just kind of shows you there's no reward for that. There's no end term reward for that life and i think goodfellas really overindulges in like how good it can be for a while and then you just have ray liotta cracking down (laughs) and going through this mental break thinking there's a helicopter you're coming after him towards the end of the movie and it's just this fast-paced just crazy experience i think everybody needs to have in in their you know movie watching um lifetime so yes uh, well, one film I do recommend to you, given this, is uh, Martin Scorsese's other film with Robert De Niro. Uh, well, well you know, another one uh, is uh, Las Vegas. Or, sorry, Casino. Casino, yes. Not Las Vegas, Casino. Yeah. Uh, Casino is, uh, is very similar to Goodfellas. I would say it's not as good as Goodfellas, but if you wanted more of that Robert De Niro uh, Al, uh, and uh, Joe, Joe Pesci. Pesci combination, that's, you know, that's a go-to. And it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun movie, you know, cause you got that uh, Las Vegas um, kind of backdrop. And then uh, you, you know, you think of Wolf of Wall Street, you think of that. Uh, all these movies, they have great cast uh, along with a really fun narrative style coming from Martin Scorsese, usually with the, the, uh, the narrative being told by a, uh, one of the characters as the narrator, uh, mm-hmm. kind of looking back on their life. Um, and I have not seen The Aviator in a while. Um, I would like to, because I, I, I don't know how similar it is in style, because I was a child when I watched it. Yeah, I feel um, like I was really young, too, when I saw it. Really young. One. And maybe I didn't appreciate it as much because I saw it as a child and I didn't get all the narratives going on. But I feel like it's not quite as fun of a movie, uh, probably because of 
Leonardo character, Leonardo DiCaprio's character kind of having some difficulties in life and mm-hmm. being less gangster as the other one. Um, but yeah, I, I think Martin Scorsese always does a great job of showing like the, the fun life of a criminal, but mm-hmm. then also the consequences of being a criminal. You usually die alone, um, sometimes violently, and usually you don't live, you don't, you don't have a happy death. You don't have a, a good ending. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm yeah. thinking of The Departed, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The, Matt Damon, you know, just uh, the, the ending is Mark Wahlberg coming and shooting him. I'm the Lone Survivor. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then he makes a movie, Lone Survivor. It's great. You know? You, know, you know what's missing from The Departed? Ben Affleck. Oh, yeah. If yeah. anything's missing from that. How do you like it's... these apples? <laughs> I could see that, man. Departed, as a, yeah, that's another great one by Scorsese. Uh, once again, fantastic cast filled with, like, you know, just fun, engaging actors. Uh, mm. But, yeah, Mark Wahlberg, the lone Did... survivor. I have a Mark Wahlberg film coming up, actually. If you um, didn't, if you didn't know offhand... Out of all of the actors in that film, who's the one that you think was nominated for the Soul Acting Academy Award from that? Oh, I know. I think I know this. Um, it's um, uh, freaking, uh, you know, Thirty Rock. You think Alec Baldwin was nominated for that? Yes, Alec Baldwin was nominated. <laughs> Wait, who no, was nominated? He, he was. Mark Wahlberg was. Mark Wahlberg was really. Yep. For well, he was, he was the only one still alive. You can't say hi to your mother for me, okay? Yeah. yeah. Say hello to your mother for me. You can't come in with the. Uh, I think it was like trash bags around his feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he just walks in with those around his feet, it's a like, quiet. Oh, it's a quiet right. ending. I think it's in. It's like yeah. Scorsese just like really grounds these like fast paced like. Um, movies with like yeah. those like kind of somberish endings. Which I think um, the problem with The Irishman is that it loses some of the pace of the uh, other films uh, with it being so damn long. <laughs> and which I think what's funny about it, too, is that, like, it's 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 something you would see, I feel like, at the end of um, a filmmaker that's fully grown. But, like, Scorsese's been grown through this, you mm-hmm. know, like, and it's Maybe it's he just doesn't care as much. Maybe he's just like, you know what? You're gonna sit through my movie because I I deserve this. He's wanted to make that movie for forever. That's true. And then he just had this opportunity and he just made it. Um mm. I mean I haven't watched it a second time. I feel like I should, but a lot of yeah. the things that I was reading in terms of what critics were saying is that mm-hmm. even though it's that long, there really isn't much that you can like there isn't a clear spot in it that you could say this drags or this is unimportant it needs to be cut it's yeah. just it's just so it's a lot to consume um i feel like it almost would have benefited from having like a two-part structure like yeah here's one part kind of like a netflix the... structure yeah, yeah. Um, it's probably tough when you want to get like an award to go that way right. you probably want to have the full narrative there yeah the irishman and the deathly hollows part two or something like that you know like you split yeah. the uh, Breaking Dawn, Irishman too. Um, now, I shared um, that in common with you as my next pick with Goodfellas slash Wolf of Wall Street and just in general Scorsese structure. Uh, what is your next one? Oh, you don't want to talk any more about Wolf of Wall Street? We could. We could. I mean, I think it shares the same kind of thing. You know, I'm talking about I, I like a good uh, – it was mostly like for me, it was a matter of 
I like Scorsese's mobster movies. I like his, his, his depiction of crime, the depiction of the rewards of crime and how it is a very engaging, it is a very tempting life. It's, the easy, it's an easy life. It's an easy mm-hmm. way to gain success is to commit crimes. But there are consequences. And I think, um, and he just does such a great job. And I think, you know, if you look at Goodfellas, you, you get the same thing with, with Wall Street in many ways. Yeah. You get that, you get that character retelling their life. You get uh, fun characters that bounce off each other with Jonah Hill, Leonardo DiCaprio, John Bernthal, um, uh, who's another good one? Matthew McConaughey at some point, you know? And that's <laughs> yeah. another thing that's a common theme with him. He'll have a really fun, engaging character that's not in a lot of the film. They're just in part of it, but it's like a really great character that's part of it. Irishman had a couple of them. Um, you had, um, you know, you, you have people like uh, 30 Rock and uh, Departed. Alec Baldwin. Um, Alec God. Baldwin. God. I, can't, I don't God. know why my names are escaping me. <laughs> <God>. uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, you had some extra gangsters and Goodfellas uh, throughout the film. Um, I mean, I but... think in a way, I mean, you're really touching on that. Scorsese's films are, are, I think, are very lived in. Yeah. Um, they're they're inhabited by these like all the supporting characters are very three dimensional. Yeah. Um, and you're just kind of weave. It's almost like you're with the the main character. You're weaving in and out of these lives in these things yeah. that are happening. Mm-hmm. Get little glimpses of these other and interesting parts, and you're not going to get a spin-off movie here and there, but you know you can just imagine what else happened within this world. It feels more like a world. It feels more like a real world uh, because of that too. Because like, you know, they're not just there to tell a part of the narrative. They are there. They're living their own life. They're whatever over here. And I think it is very engaging in that way. Um, most of his films, you know, I'm looking at his filmography and there's a couple of ones that kind of stick out that like don't really fit in with his other films. I think an aviator, I'm thinking like to some extent Shutter Island. I haven't watched it in a while, but it doesn't really fit his usual style. Um, of course, Hugo's a little bit different, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he has some, he has some very different films, but you know, the ones that, you know, we love him for are things like Goodfellas. I like him for Casino, Departed, Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, Irishmen to some extent, gangs in New York, um, that generally have very similar structure. It's that typical Scorsese film, and it's when he kind of goes off the off different directions. It's like, okay, that was good. He's still an amazing director. That's a good film. It's just mm-hmm. not like what we know him for, what we go to his films for. I see, uh, you know, I forgot about this, but Silence, and I haven't seen Silence yet. You yeah, I've, I've not. I really wanted to, but that I mean, was Adam another one that kind of slipped out of the way. Yeah, Adam Driver... Uh, Andrew Garfield, Andrew Garfield Liam Neeson. Neeson. Dude. But that's, a three, that that's another big three-hour movie. I think that's a, that's the other part. I mean... That's the problem, man. Yeah. It's just not as tempting as his typical structure. I don't think it's going to be a typical structure. Uh, yeah, but I, I hear that goes. Here's a beautiful film. Definitely going to um, try it out. Um, but yeah, you know, so just... I think we've covered... You know, Martin Scorsese, that film structure is just something that I really enjoy. And mm-hmm. if there's somebody that makes a film that's similar to that, I'm going to go to that movie. I'm going to try to look for that. Like, uh, for instance, uh, War Dogs. War Dogs, not an yeah, amazing, not an amazing movie. It's Todd mm-hmm. Phillips. But good, it's a very enjoyable movie because it follows that structure of that Martin Scorsese film. Um, yeah. Uh, but when you have that kind of movie, you know, I'm thinking of like, 
movie like maybe like 21 uh, or um, you know with um, you know where, where is the movie about uh, counting cards and you got that gangster kind of getting away with like a that, that's more like Oceans kind of that's more like an Oceans kind of movie but I'm thinking of a similar kind of you know you, you're trying to commit a crime you're trying to enjoy that easy life but there's consequences that's like a very common narrative that I think many people are inspired by Martin Scorsese to make that um, but yeah so what's your next one? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead with um, some dialogue from it. I think you'll be able to tell. And I think it's really talks to this filmmaker's strengths, the movie's strengths. Um, and it's probably my favorite out of this filmmaker's um, filmography. So you're going to know by the first couple words. But the first act is called The Pledge. The magician shows <laughs> you something ordinary. The second act is called The Turn. The magician makes his ordinary something do something extraordinary. The third act is called the Brassage. This is the part <laughs> where you see something you've never seen before. Um, this is Alec Baldwin. Yep, it's 30 Rock. It's, oh, yeah, okay. There we go, got it. <laughs> is this unhinged? What yeah, is this? <laughs> he, <laughs> he could happen to anybody, <laughs> so I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Sorry. It's what Christopher it? Nolan's 2006 Le Brassage. Oh. Um, I think Great that... Film. It, Really enjoyed the film. He's—I don't think Nolan's made a bad film, but I no, think really that this is one of the most I think interesting in his in his, in his um filmography. Yeah, his filmography, and uh, I think it was when because I feel like most people I got interested in him when The Dark Knight came out, kind of like what you're saying with mm-hmm. your experience, and then I worked my way chronologically backwards, you know. So because I, I, I actually I saw. Dark Knight before I saw Batman Begins. Um, yeah, so, and, uh, so then I worked my way back. I, like, I watched Following because it was on Netflix. Surprisingly, it was like one of the first streaming titles on it, I think, when they started moving towards that um, venue there. And then Memento, obviously, and then Insomnia. And then you get Batman Begins, and then boom, between the Batman like films, you get the prestige. And, mm. I mean, Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, and it was one of those that I immediately wa- I like I watched it twice in a row because I like th- I was just like under the spell of the twist and just everything else in it that I needed to give it a second shot immediately. Um, and I think Nolan really like he shows you something like all of his films are kind of rooted in this idea of something that's kind of ordinary, and then he does something really cool with that. And then he tries to sh- like show you things that you haven't seen. And I think like, I mean, Tenet, I haven't seen it, but the, f- you watch the trailer and you would think, wow, a lot of this is probably like green screen or all these other things, but it's mostly practical effects in these different yeah. things. And he really like pushes all of these um, methods of filmmaking to the most because his, his love for the field is so apparent. In, yeah. in, in in utilizing these and he really is that magician um where it, like and i think it really comes down to like structurally the way he tells his film his stories mm-hmm. like i mean you got memento that literally there's a graph on the wikipedia page that shows you how the timeline works um interstellar plays with t- time um I think the only ones that really are the most linear in his, uh, his backlog is, are the Batman ones. Yeah. Um, he's probably to some extent held to a certain, um, 
He probably had some certain limits to his narrative. Couldn't, couldn't go that crazy, you know? You but can't like, go that crazy, yeah. I was, I was watching Memento the other night because um, I'm trying to just kind of slowly work my way through his before Tenet gets here, which we're going to talk about later. Okay. But yes. um, I was remembering Dunkirk and how that kind of similarly, you know, you've got like three different timelines and, and they're, it's not like other films where you might have those where they're mm-hmm. like running concurrently to each other, where these all you're seeing them happen and they're they happen at different points within each other's timeline. Yeah. So like something that happens in another one we've already seen happen, but we don't know about it. So we get there in the other in, in the actual timeline. It's just like he's able to kind of make, a, you know, the, he has a way of making a narrative that if it was told completely linearly or in a different way might have been more bland than what he gave yeah. you and i think yeah. i mean he, he he writes great stories don't get me wrong but i think he really and it's not to say that he's more style over substance but he knows how to deliver that that narrative and that message that he's trying to yeah. convey through all the other tools of his craft yeah yeah, I think that's the thing. I think he, you know, if he were a, let's say, an athlete, he'd be an overall athlete. He'd be like, he's good at, he's a good at everything, but maybe he's, he's great at like a lot of different things, but he's not like elite at like one thing over everybody else. I think he, he puts together all his tools and together that makes for him being one of the best directors out there. Because, you know, you think of sound direction, you think of the cuts, you think of, you know, the way in which he uses the quality of film, he loves IMAX, he loves this, you know, he has, you know, the way his, his narrative is structured, the way he directs his actors, I think everything together, you know, and he likes to play with those different things and he cares about all these different things. And that's how he makes his film so special. Like Dunkirk, I think is special because of the quality of its pieces, you know, mm-hmm. Inter- Interstellar and, um, um, Inception are, you know, the way in which they told the story are very different than other films. You know, Memento, very different in the way in which they tell the story, you know. And within all those films, of course, like the score and the the um, the cuts and everything about it is, is just so good. Uh, but I think he, he just, he's just a, he loves his craft. And you can tell. You know? Yeah, no, I definitely... Um... Kind I feel of like, like uh, Damien, uh, what's his name? Uh, Damien uh, La La Land. Uh, Damien Chazelle. Damien Chazelle. Yeah. Kind of like Damien Chazelle. Damien Chazelle, you can tell, loves film. He loves musicals. He loves the, you know, he loves cinema. Mm-hmm. And uh, currently he's doing something weird with Apple about vertical cinema. I have to look into that more. Um, but, you know, you can tell that like Christopher Nolan, he just loves film so much and you can see little like nods to like the past and you can see how he's like going in new directions along with going with tradition. And that combination makes for amazing films. I think Christopher Nolan and him are similar in many ways. Of course, Chazelle is probably much more, a much younger version, I think. Yeah. So, Um, I mean, we'll really see with what he follows up with. Right. Um, Yeah. But I think definitely, I think, what you're saying is, you know, their their love and appreciation of these, it's apparent, and you feel that. And I think, yeah. all, I mean, all the directors we've talked about attached <clears throat> to these movies are ones that understand every aspect of their craft and yeah. 
make these experiences that we end up talking about right now for about an hour. Right. You know, oh my like, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking that after you talk about your fifth, we save our final four for next week um, to kind of wrap that up. Cause we do have a couple of other things we wanted to talk about tonight. Um, right. I think I've talked about six technically. So you'll, you'll save the final four because I have yeah. finished up with Wolf of Wall Street. So yeah, let's save the rest for the Oh, that's next, right. Yeah. You started the, the list. So yeah, we're, we are all set there, up. so we'll leave Good. you off on the Prestige. The Prestige. The Prestige. And we'll come back to the final four films that kind of flesh out our tastes. So thank you guys for getting this far with us. Um, like we said, we're going to start talking about – I mean, we're already talking about Nolan, so let's talk about it because it's actually kind of really uh, – I'm going to be frank. It's really pissed me off this week um, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, you know, like we said last week, you know, we are – it's 518 – film house we're located in new york and currently we do not have movie theaters that are open mm-hmm. however we do have access to drive-ins there's at least four or five um relatively locally to us within the 30 minute drive yep. and warner brothers has decided that unless you have regular movie theaters open in your area drive-in theaters cannot play tenant so <laughs> next week while other parts of the country you can see tenant regardless of you go to your local drive-in or go to your regal or amc or cinemark or wherever you choose us in new york even though we have access to even go see unhinged he can happen to anyone russell crowe we are not sponsored by that film at all uh <laughs> um we are regardless not regardless of that we're not gonna be able to see tenant yeah. but um, we can see unhinged so you know it, it, there's pros and there's cons you know and frankly, this could happen to anybody, you know, right. I mean, this could happen to anybody. And, uh, you know, but yeah, I, I really feel as though it's kind of like a, it's a little tone deaf, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little bit like, you know, you're not really, you're not really thinking about your fans as much, you know, you think about money because what I think what they're thinking, I think one of the decisions is, is if you restrict it to only places where, they can see it in theaters. You're getting some. You're getting money for every single ticket sold. Yep. You got to think that probably drive-ins you get a lot less money. Um, yeah, in 2019, it only uh, drive-ins provided less than two uh, percent of the overall um, domestic gross for movies that whole year. Yeah. Um, I thought of that earlier too when I was on my on my hot box uh, um, talking about it with somebody else, and I was like, "This is all about money," and yeah. I think. Unfortunately, too, I think it's about, you know, presentation for Nolan, too, because he, he always pushes, like, see my movie in IMAX. And unfortunately, you know, the drive-in theater isn't that. Yeah. Um, but I really think at a point um, where accessibility to these combined with health safety, it's like, yeah. you know, like, I was good. I, I already talked to my parents about uh, coming and taking Luna for the night next week, like a month ago when it got moved to September 3rd. Because you have to see Unhinged. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> like, I need to get out of the house. I want to see it. I want to see Russell Crowe. Angry. Yeah. And it's uh, like, at a point where it's like, okay, so let's say it comes out. It, it, actually, it's it's been starting to release globally, right? Um, right? We don't get theaters here until maybe January. Oh and that's when it's going to come out on DVD. So do you want me to just, if it's about presentation and money, I mean, you're going to get the money if I pay for it, but am I seeing it the way that you want me to see it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, regardless uh, of the, how much money I'm paying on a ticket. So 
I'm pretty disappointed in Warner Brothers here. I don't want to say that it's anti-consumer, but I think it's um, during a quarantine. You got to be a little bit more like you know, yeah. You got to think a little bit more of what you're doing here. People are going to yeah. go see this. People people go out to see Nolan movies. You know, yeah. like he is one of those behind the camera names. You put on something, and they're going to go see it. Um, so, I mean, apparently sales are doing pretty well as far as uh, pre-sale tickets. In yeah, different I mean, areas, US, China's UK, Australia. Doing, looking to do good numbers for it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we'll see. I mean, it, I, I, I feel like it could be a fluid decision, obviously. I mean, they've had to be really flexible with the release for this anyway. Yeah. Um, so, because unfortunately, I really don't see uh, New York opening theaters in most of them in California are closed too. And those are the mm. biggest markets in America for theaters and mm. for domestic grosses. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm hoping I'll be able to see it in some capacity before it's on my TV at home, but yeah, disappointing. Yeah. I mean, it, and you see the different studios taking um, different strategies here. Um, you know, you see Disney, uh, putting Mulan on Disney Plus, um, you know, but Warner Brothers not going to do the same with Tenant and HBO Max. Um, and then, of course, you know, you've got what's the company? Where's the company? I'm trying to figure out the company for Unhinged. Uh, <laughs> oh God, yeah, I have to look that up. Yeah, what company released it? Uh, Solstice Studios, of course. Um, it was released by Solstice Studios. They've chosen to allow it in drive-ins. So, you know, and when you have a leader like Solstice Studios, I mean, you got to follow suit, Warner Brothers. Come on. I mean, uh, I, I was I was reading that it's, um, it's kind of actually a, a smart move for a smaller movie like Unhinged. I feel like it's something that might have gotten lost in the larger summer schedule. Yeah. Um, but now it could be up for an Oscar. So, <laughs> I mean, c- considering that nothing has made any money at movie yeah. theaters for a couple of months domestic, it, yeah. it opened to roughly like four-ish million dollars over the weekend, um, which bad. is the highest since uh, quarantine happened. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about its competition, but... Uh, yeah, it's at 13 know. mil worldwide. I mean, you have a lot of these smaller Russell Crowe movies that come out. Yeah. occasionally i mean there's like the next three days which came out in 20 i think 10 or 11 mm-hmm. um that they, they typically opened obviously not to four mil but maybe like between nine and 11 and then they tend to triple how much they make so it'll be interesting to see since like it's playing every it's playing in a lot more venues than i think tenants going to be playing in yeah, to see if there's a, an effect on the longevity of its yeah. run. Um, now, so. so we're going to keep an eye on all of this. We're going to keep an eye on um, how movies are opening during the quarantine and how they're selling. And um, we'll see about Oscar news for Russell Crowe. But, uh, anyways, but. Recently, there was a lot of movie news coming out of a awesome event called DC Fandom. Yes, and I, you know, I haven't been huge on DC in the last, you know, I don't know, five five years or so. 
uh, outside of select films like Wonder Woman and Shazam. And, you know, I, I just, you know, haven't really enjoyed the movies as much as their previous generation of films with the um, Batman series with Christopher Nolan. But man, I don't know about you, uh, but DC fandom got me excited for DC for the first time in a long time. Um, you know, oh, I, they, I thought they they killed it all day. Crazy. Um, and apparently they had 22 million people watching. I think, they, uh, I think they garnered a lot of attention. And I think they got a lot of good attention, you know, a lot of positive attention, which was has been rare for them as far as movies go. Um, and it's it's got to be great news uh, for them. Warner Brothers, HBO Max with the Snyder Cut. I mean, let's let's get a rundown of what we saw. Um, yeah, I mean, we had, uh, you know, the trailer for, like you said, the um, four hour cut of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, we had a flash panel. They showed concept art for Black Adam starring The Rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, we finally got a, a, a big first look at Matt Reeves' The Batman, which oh I have only heard from other people and seen on the internet positive reactions. It looks fantastic. Which I, you know, I, I love Matt Reeves. I think um, he, he does a lot of really solid work, um, mm-hmm. both in film and television. So I wasn't worried. I thought it was in really good hands. I was, but we were all in on Batfleck, right? All, all in on Batfleck. We were Love all Batfleck. in on Batfleck. But man, that trailer did some work. It, it trailer... really sells this vision Oof. for Pattinson's Batman. Yeah, um, and and like, you know, an engaging villain. Like, whoa, that Riddler, the duct tape at the beginning of the trailer is just like, mm-hmm. whoa, that's unsettling. That's unsettling to see the here duct tape, for one thing. It's almost like an ASMR. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like I was watching a trailer for like the girl, with the dragon tattoo or something in that series. And it looks, you know, it kind of, that's what I was thinking too. It's like, it's like a girl with a dragon tattoo, but with Batman as the protagonist, which I actually loved just him as a detective trying to find this serial killer, which maybe the Riddler is going to be kind of like a serial killer slash criminal. Uh, but yeah, man, it was unsettling. It was engaging. It was, you know, just just fascinating, and you know, it, it has that it has a unique look for Batman that we haven't seen really recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard kind of like people calling like for uh, Mad Max vibes with the Batmobile. Um, but yeah, Robert Pattinson looks like he's he's making the part his own. Yep. And uh, oh, and uh, Commissioner Gordon with Jeffrey Wright, Jeffrey Wright like yeah. he's making the part his own. And it, it just looks like a really cool film. And there was not, you know, I don't think there was a lot of hype going into it. And I think they found a way to make people hype for a movie that is probably not coming out for a bit. It's October like it's coming out in 2021. October 2021. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I think so it's very, I, I think they took um, Batman and grounded him again. Yeah. Which I think uh, very important because, I mean, even though. Nolan's films are fairly grounded. I mean, once you get to Dark Knight Rises, it's just like it's such a different thing. And then Snyder. I mean, God. Snyder made Batman like you know, he's like godlike almost. You know, uh, and he's and, and he's the older Batman. You know, he's been doing yeah. this. He like that. Ben Affleck had already fought the Joker at certain points. Yeah. Um, I mean, Joker killed Robin in that timeline, right? If I'm yeah. remembering correctly. And here it's specific. They're like it's year two of Batman, so it's very early on. There is no Robin yet. You know, it's not even close to Robin. Yeah, so you bring it back to back to square one, really. And I think 
having the Riddler kind of be it feels it feels like a more they're going for more of that that Nolan kind of coined realism I think yeah quote unquote however how real you can make you know a comic book type movie but yeah. uh, I think definitely they're going in the right direction with it uh, in some alternate timeline of this right we had the Batman that was directed and starred Ben Affleck um, so it's just interesting that that project became this yeah um, I mean, it, it, yeah. it looks great. It looks it looks great, and I think they recovered a lot from you know people learning that Batflex back in the Flash, and like he kind of takes away from Robert Pattinson. But then that trailer just I feel like just put all the attention back on on Matt Reeves' Batman. Uh, but at the same time, throughout the day, we had other trailers. We had uh, Suicide Squad. Uh, we got to meet the cast. We yep. got to see some behind the scenes footage, and I am really excited for this film. I think it it has a certain flavor that was missing from the last Suicide Squad movie. Um, and James Gunn is, you can see the touches uh, that James Gunn brings to the movie. Um, I think it's, it's, it's riding the momentum of uh, Birds of Prey. Yep. Uh, and it's got a lot of potential, you know, I'm really, I'm really fascinated by it. I'm really excited, especially for John Cena um, kind yeah. of getting that, almost like that Batista role from James Gunn. Like James Gunn knows how to work with these wrestlers. I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't really see him in the role though. Mm. Yeah. Uh, as a peacemaker or whatever. Then, peacemaker. I could, yeah. I just, I, I, I couldn't see John Cena at the panel. That was weird. Oh, but you know what? Yeah. You know, he didn't, he didn't show. They, they yeah. showed up. They, they, they put his up his name, but he wasn't there. It was, weird. Yeah. it's kind of unprofessional that he didn't show up to the panel. I, you know, and I think they did a few voiceovers. You could hear him every once in a while, but you know, you just, there were no visuals. And I think he just no showed and sent in some, <laughs> he sent in some dialogue and they pieced it together the best they could. But still, even despite that, it was still a really cool behind the scenes featurette. I'm excited for King Shark. Uh, Cause you know, there King Shark has been big late recently. Uh, he's going to be in the Suicide Squad game. He's going to be in the Suicide Squad movie. He was in the Harley uh, Queen, uh, sorry, Harley she's a queen. She's a queen, Harley, yes. <laughs> Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn animated TV show uh, has a big emphasis on uh, King Shark. He's a much funnier role, though. Um, but, you know, which, by the way, I recommend. I hope you uh, take a chance to watch that at some point. It's on HBO Max. Uh, but, you know, I really like the direction they're going with this film. I think it looks really great. And that cast is ridiculous. Like, it's such a stacked cast. And as we talked about earlier in this, it's hard to fail with such a stacked cast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, what else did they show? Oh, man, they showed so much. I don't forgot what they showed. I don't forgot um, what they showed. I mean, they talked about, I mean, they announced uh, Shazam follow-up Fury of the Gods. They covered some um, stuff at the Flash panel. Uh, got the Wonder Woman trailer. Yep, Aquaman 2 briefly talked about. Um, really, I think they took this quiet moment where Marvel is in this, unfortunately because of COVID is in this stalemate where we would have known where phase four was going after we saw black widow. Um, So we probably would have gotten a lot more news and kind of had ideas of where things were going. And DC was just like, all right, there's a lull in the Marvel market. Bam. Here's everything we have. They, they (laughs) came, they updated you on everything. They unloaded both barrels. Yeah, so and it, it's fair. I mean, it's time. I think it's rightfully so. It's time for their version of a connected universe. I think to really start to um, shine. So yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for them. 
especially just now that they've really embraced like I think they've kind of embraced the direction they're going in where before it was like we're trying to build something similar and then it was just kind of proved that it wasn't working and you know I think it's not necessarily going to be this one connected universe it might be a multiverse because DC is very much about the multiverse and if they're going to have Flash going between dimensions that kind of opens the door for you to have Robert Pattinson and Batfleck at the same time. And uh, it allows you to have a fun movie like Suicide Squad, but then have a really dark, serious movie like The Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, and something in between with Wonder Woman 1984. I think that that movie looks really fun too. That movie yeah. looks like a lot of fun. And it's coming up pretty soon. So October 2nd. Hopefully Warner yeah. Brothers doesn't pull a tenant and... Yeah. doesn't let us access it, but we'll see. And, you know, then, of course, you got Black Adam. They showed off Black Adam a little bit with some concept art and The Rock talking about the role. And, you know, you can't downplay the fact that you have one of the biggest movie stars in a new IP for you, as far as movies go, coming up. And uh, that could be huge for them. You know, that's somebody that Marvel doesn't have. They don't have The Rock. And you have big stars. But, you know, when you think about it, Marvel is losing a lot of their giant stars. They're losing a lot of their giant stars. And then DC's just starting to use a giant star on the rock. Mm. So it could be a big swing of momentum as far as who controls the superhero market is the next couple of years with DC while Marvel starts to build back up. Of course, Marvel's taking a different strategy with the streaming services, with, you know, the different TV shows, but then, you know, it seems as though that DC is going to use HBO Max for the Snyder Cut, and who knows what else they're going to do with it. You know, they got Gotham PD, I believe it's going to be made, which is going to be a connected yeah, prequel. Yeah, prequel to uh, the Batman. That's going to be year one of the Batman, while the actual movie's going to be year two, I believe. Um, but man, DC fandom killed it. I was amazed. You know, and there was, I feel like there wasn't a lot of expectations going in, and then they just knocked it out of the park. You know, it's like if someone hit a home run with a bunt. Right, yeah. It's it's crazy. I'm so, super excited for them. Can't wait to see where it goes and to, to see more, too. So, um, definitely was a great event. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, I'm excited for our next event. Uh, yes. Which is our new segment called uh, Between a Rock and a Well Place. And as I mentioned before, uh, this is our segment in which we are going to pitch the audience and pitch each other on a great new idea for a Sam Rockwell uh, flick. Uh, Slash, you know, I'm thinking it could be a Netflix series, could be a TV show, could be something, but some sort of project with Sam Rockwell at the helm, at the front of it, you know, as the face of that franchise. Uh, So that's, this is going to be a fun segment. We were really, you know, we we got done with our last episode. We we were very excited about it. We were happy about it. But then we just talked for another, like another hour. We like riffed for a whole hour with ideas. We riffed for a whole hour with ideas. We wasted all those ideas, but we got plenty more. And I've got one that I'm really looking forward to. uh, And I'm very hyped to talk to you about. So. All right. Do you want to walk me through that one or do you want me to? No, I'm going to walk you through it. Okay, Okay, let's go. Yeah. So my movie is called Escape. And it is a Sam Rockwell film co-starred by Marissa Tomei. Okay. All right. And what is it about? It, it opens to uh, the Sam Rockwell and Marissa Tomei having dinner at a restaurant. They basically tell you that they've been dating for maybe like three months. 
but they're moving fast. They've been, you know, they've been having sex. They've been going on park dates. They've been, ha- they've been falling in love. All right. They've been falling okay. in love fast, real fast, moving fast. And that is when Marissa Tomei presents Sam Rockwell with a key, a key to her house. Hmm. All right. Sam Rockwell, you know, feels a little like, I don't know, but you know what? No, he's in love. He's, he's head over heels in love with this woman and they move in together. They get a little montage of the moving in his stuff, all that. And, uh, you know, it's been a few days. You see a nice kind of like nice few moving in days, you know, they're getting each other wet in the kitchen, you know, they're having uh, spontaneous sex and stuff. Uh, and, uh, they're in bed. It's probably three days in and Sam Rockwell, Here's a banging from the floorboards. He's like, what the heck is that? And Marissa Tomei says, ah, oh, it's the boiler. The boiler, you know, the boiler from time to time, it makes this loud bang. Oh, my God. I don't know what yeah. it is. <laughs> but Sam Rockwell's like, what the fuck? But he ignores it because it just happens. But then maybe like two nights later, it's just banging. It's going boom, 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 boom. And it's building. And the audience hears it building. All right. So Sam Rockwell needs to go check it out. He goes down, he opens the basement door, and he sees five men chained up in the basement. He turns wow. around, and Marissa Tomei knocks him over the head. He's knocked out. He wakes up chained up with these five other men. Turns out, he finds out through conversation with them and conversation a little bit with Marissa Tomei, that these are all of her exes. Mm. She dates men. She chains them up in the basement when the relationship doesn't work out. But Sam Rockwell was different. That relationship was working. They were going to work it out. And he's trying to tell her that, like, you don't need to do this. We're good. I, we can deal with this because he's trying to get out of the basement. Anyways, I'm between this being a movie and a Netflix show because what I want is these conversations between Sam Rockwell and uh, these men and talking about the relationship they had with Marissa Tomei, but also talking about uh, Sam Rockwell's relationship with his exes and just relationships in general mm. while they're chained up in this basement. I like that. And uh, what happens is they talk about these relationships. Tam Rockwell talks about these failed relationships that didn't work out. And about maybe three-fourths through the movie or like maybe the second to last episode, they realize that through different actions that there's this brick that's loose in the wall and they're going to make a plan to escape. This then cuts to Marissa Tomei, top floor, once again, banging on the floor, this time even crazier than the last time. Mm-hmm. She comes down. She wants to see what's going on. And there's a fire brewing down there. And all the exes are dead. You come to find out that Sam Rockwell is actually a serial killer. Oh, my God. That creates relationships with women and then kills them. And he just happened to run into another crazy person. And this leads to a standoff in this burning down house between them. And only one of them can escape. (laughs) X escape. X escape. It's called X escape. Yep, that's Boom. great. And that's my movie. That's my movie or my Netflix TV series. The final episode would be them com- coming into. I think you could uh, definitely do like a solid two-hour movie. Yeah, I think that. you could do a solid two-hour movie. I think you could also like really cut into these. Like, what it would be is like the thing that would be like every episode would be the basement, but you would also stretch out to see Sam Rockwell's relationship with these different actresses. Right. Uh, yeah. That would be significant for each episode, and also these actors. I'm thinking like Chris Pratt. I'm thinking like 
um, you know, different actors. It's, are a, it's a very famous. stacked male the cast. The stacked cast, really stacked yeah. cast. Great relationships between Sam Rockwell and them, which makes you care about them. And then when Sam Rockwell just murders all of them, like, it really gets crazy. Um, yeah. That was a good twist. But yeah, I like it. I like it. So that was, I was, I was I've been growing it all week and I'm like, I was really looking forward <laughs> to telling you that. Yeah, I know that. Uh, I'm excited. That's really good. Well, you know, we're between a salmon or a well place here, you know? Uh, yeah, or a rock, rock and a well, well place. place. <laughs> ah, I'm, I'm jumbling everything right now. Uh, so, give me one of your rock, between a rock and a well places. Okay, so Sam Rockwell plays a fictionalized version of himself. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so he, so, um, but I'm not going to give you the details of his past just, just mm. yet. Um, it's going to be crucial for the plot so but sam rockwell eventually in his career um shortly kind of after playing george w bush in vice gives up acting mm, okay. um, he's, he's done with it um and, and this is pre before he plays the, you know in three billboards across that Ebon, missouri oh, okay. um so it's it's uh, roughly between uh wait did no come on am i thinking chronologically correctly here i don't know did vice come out after that because then that messes up the front. I might have just because he was doing so well, and then I feel like he got that role. Some reason in my head, yep, it came out after that. Okay, so <sighs> Vice. The three billboard seems newer. For some yeah, reason. right. I, mean, right. I don't know. It's weird. Vice feels like a 2014 movie. Anyway, so yeah. it's it's after Vice in 2018. So before yeah. JoJo Rabbit, we'll go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he oh, becomes um, an admissions counselor for um, a, a really small. <laughs> No name college, um, yeah. but to the, that institution, like a lot of other ones, is looking to recruit um, students from out of state. So mm. I'm going to say it's it's somewhere up northeast. So he moves from California into the northeast. Let's go with like rural Vermont. But they're looking to expand because uh, not a lot of people are being born in the northeast anymore. So he gets attached to, to a territory in Florida. Um, right. where he goes down for uh, to do a couple of uh, different high school fairs. Um, mm-hmm. When he's down there, um, he's there for at least, you know, like three weeks during the travel season. So he's in and out of these different high school fairs. He's going to different other places and that. And he's just kind of bumming along the beaches and uh, hitting up a couple of bars at night. Um, and, and then one, one day he decides to, you know, travel down towards the Keys. He doesn't actually go on to the Keys, um, but he, he's at the tail end of Florida down there. Um, he's, he's getting a little drunk at one of the bars and, and a couple of these older guys recognize him. Um, Ooh. and they start talking to him. Um, but these, it's, these old guys belong to this kind of rogue elder biker gang and they mistake him and believe him to actually be George W. Bush from oh, vice God. and not Sam Rockwell. So they yeah. beat the ever living shit out of him and oh, no. kidnap him and toss him onto a boat. Next thing he knows, Sam Rockwell wakes up and he's on this weird, this remote island outside of Cuba, and he has no idea where the hell he is. I mean, obviously we know because it's going to say so on the screen, remote island off of Cuba. Um, yeah. He gets, they take the blindfold off, and they are trying to extract government intelligence out of oh, him because no. they believe that he is George W. Bush because he got so immersed into that role. But one thing they also don't know about my fictionalized Sam Rockwell is he's an ex-Marine. They used to be a military recruiter before he became an actor, and he just starts murking these guys. Oh, and yeah, Rambo like a, style. Like an almost like uh, most dangerous game on this island, and I call yeah. it the, the Cuban emissions crisis. Oh. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. 
I can see it. Uh, now, this is a theatrical movie. Very much so, yeah. But like, right. but like a limited run, like really, um, because I want to mask the twist part where he gets kidnapped. I wanted to kind of mm. feel like it's just this guy down on his luck, like just doing admissions things and going to bars, you know, in Florida. Mm. So, yeah. Okay, I can see that. Um, all right. Now, who who would you like pen to direct it? Oh God! Um, probably, I would. I would argue probably theatrically. I don't know if they've done anything, but I really was picturing it being shot kind of like Bloodline, that Netflix series. Mm. Um, yeah, but they normally did um, a lot of television. Right? Uh, where are we here? Um, Todd Kessler. It's like a brother duo. Duo. Mm. Um, yeah, they did damages on FX. That's what it was. Oh, okay. They have a nice yeah. little pedigree there. Yeah, damages. I can see, and I can see that. Yeah, they could do it. They could totally do it. Yeah, they really captured yeah. like I think the look and feel of Florida and kind of that mm-hmm. more like somber feeling I'm going for at the beginning, and then actually kind of what was uh, that movie we watched recently with Elijah Wood. Um, oh, oh! Come uh, to daddy, daddy. Come to daddy. Yeah, yeah. Even I can even see Ben Mendelsohn in that. Yeah, as one of the guys in the old biker gang, you know, like yeah. kidnapping the guy. Um, it's, I feel like it's just interesting, like like merge of like mm. fantasy and in, in, in real life because it's like okay, you have this kind of real Sam Rockwell, and then these kind of delusional dudes that mistake film for reality. They're like. This guy is George Bush. You can't tell me he's not. Um, so yeah, that's my pit. That's my first pitch. Okay. All right. So my next one is uh, I just came up with it off the top of my head. Okay. Is um, it's going to be called the cuckold. The cuckold. And <laughs> and it's going to star Sam Rockwell, um, and Linda Cardellini. Oh, why you got to do that to me? Yeah, and uh, I just I, she's on my screen because I looked at Bloodline. Bloodline, yeah. Uh, and how'd you know that's you why did... I love Bloodline? God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's gonna be those two. Uh, they're in a relationship. They want to spice things up. They want to spice things up. Okay. So they have to find a third partner, um, because you know uh, that's what they're into. They're into you know some voyeurish kind of stuff, and. Um, Sam Rockwell is, you know, he's not the jealous type mm-hmm. or maybe he is a little jealous. Maybe he is a little jealous, but he just doesn't know yet. Um, but he brings in Adam Driver. Oh, okay. Adam Driver has a man bun and we added wow. a few tattoos to him. Why has he not and done that before? Adam, Adam Driver gets in the best shape of his life for this film. I'm telling you, he is ripped, but he is okay. a large man. He's a large, <laughs> he's large a, man. He's a big guy. <laughs> he's a big dude. And uh, Sam, you know, brings them into their relationship. Um, and they both just fall in love with him. And it's their growth in a relationship. Um, but then Adam Driver, at some point, is going to have to break away. And uh, it's then going to have to be Sam Rockwell coming to terms with the fact that, you know, as Adam Driver finds a new relationship, what is he going to do? Because the next partner they find, it, it just isn't the same, you know? 
Mm. Uh, you get a type like uh, Russell Crowe as the next guy. Okay. And uh, you, could, you could have you could anybody. You could come for everybody, you know? So, uh, but no, not really Russell Crowe. But I do think like kind of coping with like, you've lost this party relationship. And that was a new party relationship. And like, how is he going to cope with that? And how do they find someone else? And can they find anybody else? And it's not going to be one of those films where you like confess to this person that you can bring them back. No, Adam Driver's gone. Adam Driver's moved on. He's done with that part of his life. He's now starting his own relationship. And uh, I'd like to explore that, that field. And I think there is an audience out there, perhaps an indie audience that would be interested in that. Um, I could see it being directed by perhaps, uh, let's see, maybe Judd Apatow. Okay. Yeah. Can Judd Apatow film that? Uh, Paul Rudd could also be in the Sam Rockwell that, yeah. uh, part, but I think Sam Rockwell will, will bring a little bit more of a edge to it, a serious edge to it uh, than, than Paul Rudd. And um, I'm, I'm, I think it'd be good. So yeah, Paul Rudd, Linda Cardellini, could be Leslie Mann, of course, with Judd Apatow. Uh, Leslie Mann. And I think he would be, I think he'd be down for that actually. Uh, I think he'd be like down for that narrative and he always brings Leslie Mann in the, in this film. So because of uh, their relationship, obviously. Um, but then, yeah, Adam Driver. Adam Driver, man, killing it. And I think he would bring in that kind of, that vibe to the film. Um, he'd also create some great dialogue between Sam Rockwell and uh, Adam Driver about the whole situation. Mm. So, yeah, you know, that's my next one. I came up with that one on the fly. The other one was a little bit more thought out. And this one was just breaking off of bloodlines and looking that, that up real quick. Okay. You got any others? I do have another one I, I, I wrote down during lunch today. I'm pretty excited about it. It's, oh, it's, it's definitely a stupid idea. <laughs> it's more <laughs> in line with what we were riffing last week, so just bear with me, everybody. Um, so Sam Rockwell, he, uh, you see, it's, he's not played by Sam Rockwell the whole time. You see like maybe three um, different actors playing him over the course of his childhood adolescence and then into adulthood um and he plays a a kid growing up in rural arkansas um that discovers he has a natural talent for playing the harp um however uh he he's uh ridiculed and picked on relentlessly in his childhood for playing what is you know considered to be uh more of a woman's instrument Mm. Um, and yeah, it just really takes really takes a takes a toll on him as a person until he gets a big break and gets accepted to Juilliard, um, where he studies <laughs> um, harp. And he vows once he leaves Arkansas to never ever go back to that dirty place again. Um, until J.K. Simmons about to beat the credit. <laughs> no, nope, nope. Because you, 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 it's basically a montage of Juilliard. Okay, really. okay. Um, the main the main plot comes after this, so. He, he, he graduates and he becomes this kind of uh, you know, world-renowned harpist. Mm. And um, until one day, he uh, is asked to play the harp at uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton's wedding in oh, Arkansas. No. Um, and he vowed never to go back, but decides that it's, it's too big of a, of a thing to go to. So he, he goes and he, he thinks it's a way that he can really more so keep proving to all of those that put him down as a child mm. that he has made it. Um, and then Hillary comes walking down the aisle oh and boy. all of a sudden his harp, uh, it just feels weird. Like, like okay. it just, it's it, it, almost like it's trembling on its own. Yeah. Oh, and, and he looks down and there's just this wet liquid kind of coming out 
of the harp and it smells like like piss like it just smelled off of the everybody <laughs> everybody at the wedding just like it's going a weird up, direction looks man. over him and he's like yeah. disgusted and mm-hmm. his anxiety starts to kick in because he, he's just remembering all of the the you know everything that happened in his childhood with this and mm-hmm. he just looks and he says no 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 no, no the harp pissed the harp pissed and oh my god and and he and then the rest of the film really is his journey to kind of um, vindicate himself yeah. and, and prove through uh, common law in Arkansas that, that, that his magical harp is a human being that actually peed and it wasn't him. And, oh, and wow. the movie, the movie's called The Harpist. That sounds like a. That sounds great. That sounds. Uh, do you think like Tim Burton directs this, or what do you think? Or, uh... Tim Burton, uh, Clint Eastwood came to mind as well. Uh, yeah, um, now, really, uh, Bill Clinton, of course, played by, um, uh, Matthew McConaughey, right? Yes. Hillary, um, Hillary, Ellen DeGeneres. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I can definitely see that. Uh, Al Gore. Al Gore. Who do you have Al Gore? Uh, who could be Al Gore? Al Gore. Who would you put Al Gore as? Who could be Al Gore? That's a tough I honestly one. would probably go with Al Gore played by himself. Oh, and he has like a little message about global warming. And, uh, yeah, and Man Bear Pig. Um, nice. Bill Hader. He stretched oh, out his head, maybe. Bill Hader would play, yeah. I, I was thinking that Michael Keaton could play the harp. Michael Keaton actually would make a pretty good Al Gore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, uh, one, that one came to me. I don't even, I think I was thinking about. Sounds like a fever dream. <sighs> Yeah, you know, I came to the, the name the harpist, and I was like, "How has mm. no one ever thought about the wordplay with harp pissed?" Mm. And I was like, "Sam Rockwell plays a harpist. Let's right, go for now." That. One sec. Now, if you were to say, now I'm going to try to get you to do one on the fly right now. You you want me to do one on the fly? I'm going to get you on the fly. Okay. Now, if Boz Lerman, if he directed a a, a Sam Rockwell flick. Based around Sam Rockwell, just, you know, Sam Rockwell is the centerpiece of this. He's the main actor. He is the singer. He's, uh, what would you say he would do with Sam Rockwell? So definitely, I think this goes back to an idea I had last week. And mm. I'm just trying to figure out the exact uh, motion picture. But it's going to be mm. a, making, a musical about the making of a movie. Um, okay. Mm. And it's going to be about... The, it's going to be a musical about the making of the movie of the witches of Eastwick, um, oh. George Miller's uh, Jack Nicholson share and Susan Sarandon, yeah. and Michelle Pfeiffer. But mm-hmm. he, Sam Rockwell does not play Jack Nicholson's character. He plays Cher. Oh my gosh. That would be engaging. It'd be riveting. You're riveting. Uh, a little controversial, but I could not get over be... <laughs> him playing because originally last week, what it was like, he played Cher in a follow-up to Burlap. No, it was it was in Mamma Mia three. Oh, is yeah, it yeah, Sam yeah, Rockwell yeah. played played him in, in Mamma Mia three, and he and Andy Garcia That'd had a lot big. of romantic scenes together. That'd be big. Mm-hmm. I guess Huge time. A lot of money. Um, um, what's the, what's uh what's the movie with Army Hammer and T- Timothy Chalamet? Call Me by Your Name. Yep. Yes. Uh, it could be a follow up called Call Me by Rockwell. And it's just Army Hammer and Sam Rockwell. And um, they're just traveling throughout uh, Europe. And um, 
you see you can see where it goes from there of course but um a lot of peach play would be nice um yeah sam you know sam rockwell he's a money maker you know you just think of like a film and you can just come up with one and that's going to make money and that's what we're here for yeah and studios I, take these ideas i take these ideas and make money you know just give us some ad revenue or something i don't know mm-hmm. uh but you know i i'm really looking forward to this you know i'm gonna be thinking about them all week and i'm very proud of escape and uh i think the cuckold you know has some work mm-hmm. i'm still fleshing it out but you know i think we got a lot of good films coming out you know the harpist the harpist the harpist i mean i think that is that's just waiting to be you know filmed and i could almost you know I would love for it to be an animated film because I could see the engagement and Danny DeVito could play the harp, actually, I feel like. Um, how, how about it's real or life until the attorney. harp pees? And, and then, then, then it goes animated. animated. Mm. Then it goes animated, okay. And it's, yeah. All right, yeah. Very Lorax-y. Yeah. It'd be like the Lorax at, um, at, towards the end. And, the, and the, the harp has a mustache and it's just Danny DeVito. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, <laughs> and I think in non, like, the segment will can yeah. always be between a rock and a well place and we can come back to Sam Rockwell different times. But I think it'd be fun if we rotated like different actors or filmmakers yeah. and pitched things specific to those. Okay. All right. So we'll come back to rock and a well place perhaps in a few weeks. So I was, the next week, yeah. what do you think? You know, what do you want to do? I'm thinking since we are going to stick with the name of between a rock and a well place for the pitching, why don't uh, we stay a little consistent at least for next week and let's pitch Dwayne the Rock Johnson films. Ooh, yes. So I'm thinking, looking at Outlook for next week for everybody. Um, we're going to f- finish our list of the films to get to know our tastes. Yeah. Um, obviously, any relevant film news that happens between now and then. Um, and then pitching fantastic uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson movies. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up now, though. I'm Alex, um, and this is Joe, and we are 518 Filmhouse. We'll catch you next time.